Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Welcome to the podcast. So have you ever laid in bed at night worrying about your future and wondering if your job will still exist in a decade or even just a few years from now? Well, if so, you're definitely not alone. Nearly 40% of the global workforce worry about their future employment. And this fear is fed by provocative headlines, things like, will robots take our children's jobs and robots will destroy our lives and we're not ready for it. Those are actual real headlines, by the way. So to talk about the future of work and what the future workforce will look like, our guest today is Keith Keating, a senior director at GP Strategies. Keith, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be back. So, Keith, let's start with those headlines that I just mentioned. Are we, in fact, heading for a robot apocalypse, or are those <laughs> yeah. headlines more like clickbait? Uh, definitely more on the clickbait side. The, the reality is we're living in an exciting time right now. So there's this fundamental transformation in the way that we work as the pace of change evolves, but more so as AI and robotics are becoming more mainstream. And so, yes, there's, there's a lot of information out there, but not necessarily the information that we should be focusing on. As you said, it's a bit about fear mongering. Mm-hmm. So those headlines, and there are definitely plenty of them, they, they perpetuate this culture of fear telling us that we're going to lose our jobs. But then even on top of that, I've done a lot of analysis and and there's this conflicting statistics. So for example, McKinsey and company says 73 million people may be at risk. And PwC says it's 38 million. And then Oxford University says it's actually 47 million. But the truth is that economists and researchers are coming forth with all these hypotheses that no one seems to really agree on what that impact of automation robotics will actually be. So there's still a lot of unknowns. Okay. So, but still though, if you see those headlines and if, even if you get beyond them and you look at that data, 73 million jobs, 43 million, that's still kind of frightening, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're in one of those jobs that's most likely to be disrupted, which we'll get to in a second. So what do we do with all that data online, assuming that the answer is not just ignore it. Right? <laughs> how, how, how do we make sense of it? You know, How can or should we use it to prepare for what seems like it's going to be a pretty major change in the workplace in the near future? Well, it will absolutely be a major change and not just will be, it is a major change. So what we need to do is focus on what we do know. And the, the reality is, and, and part of this is to be very honest and transparent is that we know people will be impacted. We don't necessarily know how many, whether it's 3 million or it's 73 million, that's still a lot of people. And so they're going to need reskilling to help them prepare for working alongside robots and automation, but they need it today and not through a culture of fear. And so if we just take a step and look back, we've actually been going through these technological evolutions for a long time, at least nine centuries. And so in the Industrial Revolution, we reached a new stage with technology. But since then, probably I would say once a generation, we have a near panic by people because technology is, quote, destroying jobs. But if you look back at the agricultural manufacturing changes, yes, industries did decline. But more importantly, the economy continued to grow. 
Just look at the introduction of the automobile or the computer in the 20th century. Both inventions destroyed jobs, but they created many more jobs than were destroyed. And that's what we need to be focusing on is the job creation, not destruction. In fact, the World Economic Forum has recently stated that they believe that the increase in new jobs is going to offset the decrease in demand for other jobs. So that's the message that we need to be sharing. Okay, right. And, you know, I guess if you look back to, you know, a century or so ago, um, there are some obvious examples, right? Like you mentioned the automobile, and obviously that disrupted the the horse and buggy industry. Mm-hmm. Right? Before the automobile, people rode horses or rode in carriages and so on. And so, and, and those were pretty major industries. Uh, but look what it created for us. Yeah, it, it gave us access to places we couldn't go. It gave us auto workers. It gave us a whole line of industries, but it also changed industries as well. So there's a lot of things that we couldn't have foreseen coming from that at the time. In fact, you know, people were rioting then not to have automobiles because they didn't want it to upset their industry and their way of life. It's sort of the same situation we're in now on a different scale. Right. And of course, rioting against automobiles or any technology never really works, right? That's certainly not the answer. The, the technology will advance and, and progress. And we're in a moment now where to, to stay with, with automobiles, self-driving cars are on the way. Mm-hmm. It's, who knows exactly how long it might take. But I mean, just one example. And now we're kind of getting to the next question, which is, what are the industries that are most likely to be disrupted? And I'll just throw out one example that, that I read about a lot, which is truck drivers. Right? Mm-hmm. Before too long, at least according to what we read, there will be self-driving trucks. And so all the many, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people who are employed driving trucks will no longer be driving those trucks ostensibly. So, I mean, that's just one example. Right. What are some other examples of the kinds of work that are most likely to be disrupted and and what ought we to do about that? And it's not just what will be disrupted, it's also what's being disrupted today. Sure. I think that that's an important distinction because when I am involved in a lot of conversations about the future workforce and the term 2030 is, is thrown around, and yes, that's about 10 years away, but the same skills that we're talking about needing then are the same skills we actually need today. And so, you know, some other examples, um, customer service and call center representatives are being replaced now by chatbots or IBM's Watsons. Right. We've got 3D printers. I was just reading the other day about a boy that had a, his ear was replaced by a 3D printer. I mean, that's absolutely fascinating. Then you've got robots that are now managing warehouse activities and, and store inventory and stock control. So that, that list goes on and on. But I think... What's important to recognize, and as part of this conversation that, that takes it away from fear, is that AI and robotics are better at certain activities than humans. And that you just can't argue with that. Robots are more precise. And so without that human error, they can perform these types of tasks with a level of accuracy that we can't compete with, like filling prescriptions or choosing the proper dosage of a medication. I'll give you an example. At the University of California, there is a robotic pharmacist right now that's filling and dispensing prescriptions better than most humans. So they had had a study where the robot did about 350,000 doses and not one single error was found. And so that robot is also able to better judge whether those medications interact with other, um, any other medications that the patient is taking. 
So to kind of go back to your question, what jobs are going to be impacted? There are three key areas that are going to be disrupted first. There, there are many more that may progress. But right now, those three key areas around data collection, data processing, and that pr- those predictable physical behaviors. So jobs around these three areas are, are at risk, essentially. Like you just said, truck drivers, that's a predictable physical activity. Laborers, logistics managers, financial clerks, retail sales, and retail sales is going to be a big one for the U.S. specifically. And so AI and robotics can do their job or at least a portion of their job in that more cost-effective manner. And then, of course, we've got Amazon, who's been a huge proponent of using robots in their warehouses. So I would say that, in my opinion, today, when we talk about robots, and again, going back to the idea of reducing the fear, robots aren't being designed to take our jobs. Instead, they're being designed and developed to help us with a focus on taking over those mundane tasks that we really don't want to be doing. Some of those tasks that can be better handled by a robot, freeing us up to do more important things. I'll give you a great example. Recently, I had to go to the hospital and I had to fill out the same exact paperwork five separate times from the doctor, from the insurance company, from the anesthesiology, from the medications. It was ridiculous. It's a waste of my time to have to fill that out, but also a waste of potentially five different people having to input that information. We should just be able to do it one time so they can be focusing on those other core human important activities. Yeah, no, of course. And and I think we've all experienced the frustration of having to fill out those forms. It certainly feels like a waste of everybody's time, and it, and it is a waste of everybody's time. And if a robot can do it better, then obviously, why not? Right. What about something like, you know, truck drivers, again, to go to that example? You know, if you're a truck driver and, and you, you read those statistics, you're listening to this, you might be like, well, you know, that's my job. Like mm-hmm. I was trained to do that. And that's how I make make my living. You know, what's going to happen to me? Or so, so what, you know, what's your answer to that as, as someone who studies this and, you know, is part of a company, GP Strategies, that also thinks deeply about those things? What's being done now to not just think about those problems, but to start to prepare all of us for, for that reality of the workforce? Well, going, going specifically to your question about the truck drivers, they're going to have to be reskilled and change careers. Mm-hmm. And that it's a hard statement to absorb, also to state, but it's it's a reality. And we need to be making these type of statements. Do they need to change their careers today? No. Do they need to be thinking about what they need to be doing next? Absolutely. And so the first action that we can take is to start the dialogue like we're having right now to really help bring awareness that this change is happening. It's happening now and we need to start preparing for it today. But making that conversation more action oriented rather than just fear based oriented like those headlines that we're going to be out of a job. And so to do that, there's a couple of ways that we can approach this. So first of all, we need to be engaging our clients, our companies, the employees, and being open and honest about this. So for example, at GP Strategies, we've established a skills advisory board. And so it's comprised of uh, ex-CLOs, current learning leaders across industries, performance consultants, skill experts. And what we do is we look at 
the different industries of our clients and we monitor the trends and we evaluate potential future business needs. We engage with them and we're working towards identifying those skill gaps and ways to create developmental opportunities if they don't already exist within that organization. And so that was something we would take into consideration with someone like a truck driver because they have logistic skills. There are other transferable skills that they have. They just don't know what other jobs are available out there. They don't know what skills they have that can transfer. And so they need help understanding what that reskilling opportunity looks like. And so and that that really falls back on L&D, on the learning and development industry. And so the reality is technology is evolving and business is evolving. And I believe that as an L&D representative that we need to evolve today, when you talk about L&D, we're known as encouraging on the job learning or teaching knowledge and producing content. We're known as the providers of learning. And sometimes I hear in the industry that we're the owners of learning, making us accountable. But what if we took a step back and we flip that? And so what if we start to put the responsibility back on the learners? And instead of us being the providers of learning, we actually become learning enablers. And so we create this connected learner so that it empowers and enables the learner to take control over their future. And I'll give you an example. Um, We need to be focusing on skills instead of jobs. And by doing this, we need to start with helping our workforce identify the skills they have today. And then we need to be working with the business, with our customers, with the organizations to identify what skills are going to be needed tomorrow, where those future skill needs are. And then we need to architect those developmental opportunities to help bridge that gap between those skill areas, giving the individuals like the truck drivers opportunities to develop those skills while they're still working today, not waiting until they're out of a job. And so that we can also help encourage them to really build those effective learning habits. So truck drivers aside, think about everyone else, I'll call our global workforce. The reality is modern careers are like nonstop conveyor belts. And you have to keep moving and learning no matter what stage you're in. And that is such an important concept for our workforce to be thinking about because having a workforce that is content with the knowledge and skills that they have today, it puts them at risk for tomorrow. And so if you take into account how quickly industry and business and technology evolves, this is how employees get left behind. So what's important is we've got to be instilling this concept of being a lifelong learner regardless of where you are in your career, so that we can help them be adaptable and agile so that they can fill that next gap, whatever it may be. And so that that concept of being a lifelong learner, it's empowering for our workforce. And at the end of the day, it helps them help themselves. And that's what we want to be doing. And so whether whether we're creating those opportunities like stretch assignments or using something like um, a, a digital skills platform or maybe creating an external partnership with another company so that you can learn those skills, we just need to be creating those opportunities today so that they can learn these skills while they're in their current jobs. And that's the challenge, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that sounds smart. And, and that kind of broadens it out, I think, in a useful way that it's not just 
truck drivers or pharmacists or, or any other discrete number of people in, in particular professions. It's really everybody. Absolutely. Right? In any profession that technology is moving at such a fast pace that if you don't stay aware, you're going to be left behind and you just won't have the skills it, it, 10 years from now, because there may be technologies, there will be technologies 10 years from now that we have no clue about today that don't, that literally don't exist. Right. And uh, the reality is the future hasn't been written. So we, it, we can't say without certainty that there are roles that are not going to be impacted. We know that as quickly as society, industries, technology is evolving, there's this constant change. And that's one of the skill sets that we have got to be comfortable with is that adaptability and that agility to be comfortable with change and continue that concept of being a lifelong learner so that we're able to continue growing along with that pace of change. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, change can be scary and disruptive in uncomfortable ways. And, and I think it that, can be. But that's why that's why we need to continue to talk about it in a positive manner rather than uh, that the, the negative headlines or uh, you know, perpetuation in, in TV and movies about how robots are going to take over the world. The reality is here, the, the one thing that we have at the advantage over robots is that they will never be humans. That's just not, that's a skill set that they can't have. So we have that working to our advantage as much as uh, Hollywood or the media might want to portray it a different way. Yeah, that's true. Well, at, at least let's hope that that's absolutely true. <laughs> I don't know if you ever watched Westworld. Have you ever watched that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's something we probably want to avoid, if at all possible. But yeah. anyway, well, okay. There's so much more we could talk about. It's such a rich topic. But let's let's uh, sort of bring things home. What are two or three things that you want listeners to take away from this podcast? There is work for people today, and there will be work for people tomorrow, even in a future of automation. We've got to look past that fear. We've got to continue this conversation and recognize the importance of being a lifelong learner, recognizing that a great percentage of the workforce will need to be reskilled. And for the L&D industry, our call to action is that we need to evolve from learning providers to learning enablers so that we can help the employees help themselves. And our aim really should be to help our workforce understand be comfortable and navigate the ambiguous and uncertain waters of the future, which they are there without a doubt. But we can do that with flexibility to help them become that responsive and adaptable workforce needed so that they have jobs in the future. Because no one should be living in fear of not having a job. You mentioned at the beginning that 40% of the workforce right now is is worried about the future of their job. That's just not a place that anybody should be living in. And with the proper preparation, with the proper planning discussions and reskilling, it does not have to be that way. So I would, I would close with this. Let's look past the fear mongering. Let's turn it into action. And rather than thinking it's humans versus the machines, we should be embracing this technology. I'm looking forward to the day where I don't have to fill out all of that paperwork, where those mundane tasks that I don't want to do are automated so I can focus on the areas that I am skillful in the areas that I'm passionate about, the areas where I can really bring productivity. And so it's not thinking of humans versus the machines. It's humans and the machines, which is our future blended workforce. 
Right. And, and I mean, really, if you look at just human history, it's always been like that. Humans have always used tools and machines to do work. Absolutely. And, and we'll always invent new machines. And hopefully we're smart enough to avoid the, uh, the robot apocalypse like in Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully. Well, Keith, thank you as always for your time and for sharing your thoughts and insights. Absolutely. Enjoyed the conversation. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.